0: we go to work and when we're up, we whine about our day we sip our cares away and you
1: can do the same cause you're in a safe place when you're whining with nurses hi
0: hello hello people
1: welcome to Whining with, with nurses. nurses. Ooh, did oh. we? <gasps> did we just harmonize? <laughs> um, flat. No, but we did try. I can't to. wait to hear what that sounds like.
2: <laughs> I have a really <laughs> skewed <laughs> perception of my vocal ability. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> like I will sing to um, uh. the Phantom of the Opera. Think of me. And that's like a high soprano song. Yeah, yeah. You have to break windows to hit those <laughs> notes. <laughs> my roommate's like, uh, they just are tortured by it. Not and only do they hate musicals of any kind, but oh. I'm their butchering. So you're their favorite
1: roommate
0: yeah,
2: of yeah. all
1: time. I'm
0: doing yeah. it, guys. I'm yeah. doing it. Don't ruin my glory. Sometimes when I know I can't hit those notes, I'll just dip it right down into my... Tone. That just reminded me of one of my brothers. He'll go, I'm singing in my lowest falsetto.
2: (laughs) Such a brother thing to do.
1: Yeah. How are you guys? It's been a long time since I've seen you. I'm pretty good. We didn't say who we were.
2: Oh, God, fail. They're never going to know. Guess. (laughs) Just guess. I wonder. Well, I was listening to it like, you know, I listen to our episodes to see if I can mm-hmm. improve on any of my um likes or ums you mm-hmm. know and our voices kind of sound alike yours and mine cat do they at least to my untrained ear
0: huh maybe a bit but sometimes I feel like mine does too a little bit do I or do I sound just weird
2: every once in a while you have a little oh no I'm thinking of somebody else I work with
0: <laughs> what
2: <laughs> Sometimes so what? you have kind of a little like Wisconsin accent sounding but that's not you
1: it's oh it's maybe her virginian accent no it's fully a different person oh, i was thinking of <laughs> totally okay <laughs> sorry i'm oh.
2: sleep deprived i feel
1: like i kind of slur or have a lisp or something do you have? A, I don't know. Do I have a lisp? I don't know. Do you have a lisp? I don't know. Neither lisp. of you have lisps. Okay. Anyway, I'm Cat. <laughs> I'm Desi.
0: And I'm Sarah. <laughs> Nine more voices. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a quiz at the end of this episode. <laughs>
1: oh. Anyway, anything exciting going on? What's up? What's up? How's your um, thirty? Whole thirty. Oh, it's going.
2: It's going good. I've cheated two days and had wine. Hmm. So uh, I, don't I wouldn't call that it. cheating. Yeah, but I
0: would call like, that living. Yeah. It's coping, actually.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going good. Almost done. I see the finish line. I had a moment where I almost broke in the break room. I, like, went to the bathroom and I came out and there was two bags of sour gummy bears on the table, which is, like, catnip to me. And mm-hmm. I was just, I walked towards them slowly and thought about the texture of them, <laughs> the salivating taste of them. And just, I was like, nobody would know. And then I was like, oh, no, Desi, don't do it. You'd know. <laughs> so I had to run out.
1: Self-talk. Yeah. No one has to know. <laughs> yeah, it
2: was. It was like a little devil on my shoulder. <laughs> Eat the
1: gummy bears. Good power, though, like yeah. self-control. Yeah. That's I mean, hard. At work, fair. they had a, it was like a, a oh, something appreciation week. Administrative's, <laughs> Administrative. Uh, Administrative, yeah, I saw yeah. the banner. Yeah, and so they had donuts, bagels, cream cheese, Yogurt juices, more pastries. Oh my gosh. I couldn't resist and like Mm -hmm. really try not to. And I took like four like throughout the day I would take like a little like one inch sliver and put cream cheese on it of a bagel or something and then another time of the day I'm like i probably eat half a bagel the little slivers I kept taking I'm like ooh well this donut I'll just take a little sliver and then <laughs> it,
0: yeah I totally did that with a cake we have freaking cake and desserts every all the time, uh, all the time. it's all so annoying the I mean time. it's really nice it's really sweet that people celebrate each other's birthdays and it's very nice to have snacks available when you don't have your own snack but it It's just a bummer that it's always something bad for you. And I don't even like cake that much, but whatever, whoever picks out the cakes, picks out really good cakes because I always be eating them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's hard when it's there and you're working, you're like, oh, this little moment of pleasure, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's all right. It's
2: like four in the morning and you're like, oh, I just want this day, night to pass. Like, what can I do? Oh, there's a giant chocolate cake just sitting there. And you have to stare at it and want it.
0: I will eat this whole thing bite by bite. I could. When I'm done, it will be 630 and the (laughs) next shift will be here. Exactly. (laughs) So Desi, open your vino.
2: All right. So today I brought, uh, it's a rosé. I figured it's kind Of hitting that springtime, mm-hmm. so the
0: bottle's cool looking. It looks dimpled or something, it is.
2: It has like a golf ball model to it.
0: Oh, yeah, huh, wow! Old skin, and I actually <laughs> really like
1: bottles that are
0: clear all the way
1: at the top, and you can see the cork, it's just like really,
2: yeah. And this cork has neat tail, uh, so it's called Ambrose.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'll hold it for you so you can you open, open, open the bottle.
1: Ambrose, okay.
2: Ambrose, it's uh. Syrah, Grenache, and Mouvedra rose. Oh. I don't know if it's in that order, you know, percentage wise, but it's a 2017 from the Napa Valley. And let me pop the cork on this and we'll give it a taste.
0: This sounds like it's gonna be good. I love this combination of grapes, first of all. And they made oh. it a rose. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I think we're gonna like it.
1: Dash, oops. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, my want that too.
0: It's a Pacific
2: rose. So that basically, I'm kind of doing a free sale here
1: for my brother. It's one of his wines. Okay. So. um. Wait, like he works at the vineyard actually making the wine? He's the winemaker. This is his. Oh, he's what? a winemaker? Yeah.
0: I know you've told me that before, but I forgot what his role was. He makes wine. Yeah. Amaze balls. Oh,
2: I know. He's got the best job in the whole wide world. Yeah.
1: What? So. Um, I can't. Can I trade professions? I, uh, so, so I just poured it into my old glass
2: which had some red wine in it. Uh so it's a nice rosé color there but the color on it's actually more of a uh I don't know orangey.
1: Yeah. My mom right. has actually really, over the past year, really gotten into rosés, and if this is delicious, which it's gonna be, I'm gonna recommend it to her. Oh, heavy pour there, Sarah. That's okay with me. <laughs> that is a really cool, like stippled bottle. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Oh, stippled. It's, yeah. That's is is that is the right word. I'm not sure. I've never sure. heard that word. Um, like really it.
0: stippling when you are drawing with ink, and you dot 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 dot.
1: I just, I don't know. It felt right when I said it, so... I believed you. Yeah. Oh, mm, we should taste it. Maybe not all at the same time. I'll keep talking. Mm. (laughs) I'm going to... Have you had it before, Dizzy? Yeah. Yeah. okay.
2: It's uh, our family's favorite uh, for a nice sunny day. And the cork, we were saying, it's got some nice detail, um nectar of the gods is printed on one side and um a, i believe a portion of his profits go to like bee preservation methods like he donates them to a company i believe that helps you know um you believe Yeah,
1: oh, i believe my god because they're an like this it? is like the best rosé I have ever had. Get out of here! It's not a regular rosé where like you drink it and it's like a plain white wine where it just is off the tongue. It tastes fruity, like yeah, it's honeyish more a little. And I think it's it's usually like boysenberry or like something on my tongue afterwards. Oh my gosh! This is how much is this bottle? Because <laughs> I want it. I think uh, the, the 2017 or 25 a bottle. I'm not sure. I'm not very It's good. like fresh preserves.
2: Yeah, I like it because it's not super sweet.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Right? Actually It's
2: more complex. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. Jen would love this. Uh, <laughs> oh, <shoot. laughs> she loves rosés. <laughs> and it smells like, it smells what's floral. What's percentage um, on it?
2: I think his first year, it was like 14.5% alcohol. In the first year, I think he dialed
0: it back a little bit. Oh, my God. At first, I thought it said 18.8. It says 13.5. Okay.
1: It's it like, does taste so, like Alicia yeah. yeah, like preserves or jam or something afterwards. It's so fruity and delicious. Like, actually fruity. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm terrible at wine. Everyone knows this. Like, I think I smells some <laughs> pink pink, pink. Yeah. tobacco this is like fruit it's delicious Um, thanks Desi's brother this is amazing yeah, yeah. shout out to him what's his should we say his name yeah. his name is Vin Traverso mm-hmm.
2: and he makes a couple other wines but this is his uh, you know first baby he came back to the states and this mm-hmm. was his First production.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Oh I gosh. like it a lot. I yeah. love that. And that's easy drinking too. Uh, yeah, I'm going to need some of that for my lawn mowing days this summer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, Sarah, do you want to mow our lawn?
0: Yeah, do you have a mower? No. I'll totally do it. I do have- you have a mower? Yeah, I do. Oh,
1: can you bring your mower? We've Probably, been looking at yeah. our lawn, we're like, I don't know anyone who has a mower. Sarah has, um, loves
0: mowing lawns, by the way. Does. I love I to mow. I
2: have my mower out on my front lawn right now. I was going to do it before I showed up here, but-
0: you want me to do yours too? Yeah. Sure, I'll be there. Book it down.
1: <laughs> I, I
2: think, I'll give I you would a bottle like. of rose.
0: <laughs> no fair.
1: <laughs> Can I clip your toenails or something? <laughs> you, I have some leaves <laughs> for you to rake if you want. <laughs> I, I, want some, I love vacuuming and cleaning and doing dishes. So if you ever want your house cleaned, Man, you have, you, you're
2: just the best.
1: <laughs> I'll just
2: I'm gonna be a supplier.
1: That sounds great. To be my harem. <laughs> my household cleaning <laughs> activity harem. Uh, well, thanks. This is a great shout out. I'm going to yeah. tell a lot of people to go there. What's the vineyard called? The winery, I mean.
2: Uh, it, he just makes it like, um, it's it's just a label. He makes it. He like, like where can you get it? You can get it online. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's um some more boutique wine shops and restaurants that have it for sale. Um, okay. I'll get. get
1: where more is info. he located? Napa. Napa. Okay. Got Man, cool.
0: Yeah. yeah. You got, like, good people in your family. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. He's the only good one. No, no, just kidding.
2: <laughs> They're all great.
0: Did you guys, I meant to talk about this last week, but did, I'm sure you guys heard about the um, Washington State Senator Maureen Walsh and mm-hmm. her comments about mm-hmm. nurse breaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fool. Terrible. Oh, I'm so mad at her. I wanted to, I wanted to give a little context, though, just because we want to be fair and accurate mm-hmm not that's what this podcast is about. It's not, it's mostly about our opinions and how we <laughs> feel about things. But she wasn't talking about all nurses. She was talking about nurses in a specific context, um, nurses at these small- um, Rural. Yeah, rural hospitals that are, um, I can't remember what the word is. It's something access hospitals, like- uh, Limited access? Yeah, something like that. So um, talking about nurses in those hospitals and how they shouldn't, have this law that was being proposed applied to them. Um, The law being that, you know, certain breaks are mandated. And, and then she made the rude comment about they probably do get their breaks. And I, you know, think they might be playing cards and whatever she said. Yeah, we should play the clip. Oh, let's do it. Can we?
2: All right, go on. I'll pull it up.
0: Um, I just was so upset about that because how dare she? Has she ever been a nurse? Even if she's talking about these nurses in a very specific context, how in the world would she know if they're getting their breaks or not? And in my experience of working in small and large hospitals and in different states where they have mandated breaks and where they don't, Thank God I'm in California where we get our breaks that are mandated by law. And even then, every once in a while, you don't get your break. And that's a really shitty night. Yeah. You know, so, but there are penalties for the employer if they don't give you that break. So it's within everyone's best interest to give it to you. Anyway, it just made me so furious that someone who has no uh, experience in health care. To make she, the claims she made. Yeah, exactly. All right, okay. so here's a clip from the Washington Post. We're going to play.
1: Being ...with employees and making sure that we have rest breaks and things like that. But, but I also understand that we need to care for patients first
2: and foremost. And by putting these types of mandates on a critical access hospital that
0: literally serves a handful of individuals, I would submit to you those nurses probably do get breaks. They probably play cards for a considerable amount of the day. <laughs> <laughs> <to growl. laughs> Does he's hurting herself with her anger? <laughs> oh, rage. Um, it's so, so insulting amazing that she would say that. It's so insulting. Um, yeah. So I think you were mentioning while we were getting our stuff together that you you kind of get her point, but like, oh
2: yeah. I I mean I understand. I come. I can see her perspective of it, but just the the blatant um, attitude she had while she was like saying that, you know, it comes across really bad. And like you were saying, she has no idea what, what that those nurses' day is like. Like she has no experience in that field. She doesn't understand the demands that are on nurses anyways.
0: Right. Like,
1: I wonder, do you think there's something behind that? Like what would make her, do you think in that moment she just pulled that out of her ass? Or like she th- had some... Or did she
0: write it down at a time? She knew she was and- going to...
1: Talk about this. So, is that the first thing that came to mind, like playing cards, or you know, I wonder if she like thought about it for I don't know. It's just- after she had such a big backlash after it, she made a statement saying like, "Oh, I definitely regret
2: it. I uh, I was swept up in the exhaustion of the session or something like that."
0: Hmm. Um, hmm.
2: But she hasn't, you know, apologized. If anything, I think she's held her ground more.
0: Really. Yeah, you know, she's like, yeah, I will. I'll shadow a
2: nurse for twelve hours. I want to um, see.
0: Good, do it. Yeah, you know, I, I was listening to another nursing podcast this week actually, and they this was an older episode, and they mentioned a nurse who was filing a class action lawsuit in Washington State because she hadn't been getting the breaks that were, um, I guess, mandated, mandated by law. Mm-hmm. Um, And I wonder if that has something to do with this now. Um, And the nurses on the other podcast, and they're, of course, entitled to their own perspective, but they were saying, you know, I don't really like to take long breaks. I would rather be present for my patients and just kind of snack throughout the day, which if you like to do that, fine. But not everyone likes to do that. And, you know, I've worked in other states where you don't get mandated breaks and it is terrible sometimes because sometimes you don't ever get breaks you know there was a hospital i worked at in virginia where if you wanted to take a break you had to the charge nurse had an assignment so you couldn't just give your patients patients to the charge nurse there was no resource nurse to give your patients to so you had to divvy your patients up between two other nurses because you could have up to six nurses six patients at a time oh my gosh yeah so it's a hey you, on this side, can you take these three patients? Can you take these three patients? And you would have to time it just so where there was a lull in the day if you could find one. Ugh. Then you go to the break room. I, I'd never went to the cafeteria for the first year that I worked there because I didn't even feel like it was an option. So you have to you know make sure you bring your own lunch, fine. But I would go to the break room. And you're constantly interrupted. You don't actually get a break. People will come get you for anything. And sometimes it's actually urgent and sometimes it's not. But either way, you don't get to take your mind off your work Mm -hmm. and get a mental or physical break. Sometimes you have to physically get up, leave your food, it gets cold. Anyway, so I think that for me, that's why I feel like mandated breaks are so important because... Otherwise, I get burnt out personally. Yeah, if- and, and like she said, it's about providing care for the patient. Well, how good of a care am I going
2: to be providing? How quick are my thought processes going to be if I'm exhausted? You exactly. know exactly. And I think in another portion of the clip that we didn't we didn't play this part, but she said something along the lines of, um, "Oh,
0: brain fart, Gin Rummy." <laughs>
2: <No>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll come back to it. <laughs> Sorry.
0: I'll take more of that wine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's good. Let's drink,
1: ladies.
2: (laughs) Apparently, she's had like 1,700 decks of cards sent
1: to her. Yeah. (laughs) I was reading (laughs) that (laughs) that this morning. (laughs) Jeez. I wonder if she is sorry or just is apologizing because it's become a thing of the
0: backlash. you infuriated those who you should not have you know right nurses are the most trusted profession for a reason we are doing our freaking best man we're trying so hard mm-hmm. why do you want to make things any harder for us than you have to yeah. at all even just very incrementally even if it's just for a very small amount of the nurses in one small area of the country you know why do that it's just but even though it's in a small area, it's insulting to the idea of nursing mm-hmm. to the core
1: of like you're hurt. You're really hurting us, you know, who work really hard day in and day out to help other people, other people's lives and quality of life, and advocate for them, and et cetera and on and on and on. It's it's hurtful. Um, and she might have said it in the moment, but usually you have sort of an idea. You kind of feel that way. Like you say things, but it comes from an idea
0: that you have mm-hmm. that blurts out you know so anyway and top. if we ever do get a lull in the day where we actually get to enjoy ourselves thank god mm-hmm. thank god because most of nursing you know 75 to 90% <laughs> i would say of nursing is just busting your ass yeah. you know and running doing all hard day stuff yeah, yeah. You're responding to patient calls, complaints. Mm-hmm. You right have to actually consider thoughts. symptoms that could be life-threatening and just making a call on what to do. Right.
2: And making judgment calls that affect somebody's life. Like, that responsibility weighs on you, you
1: know? And right. You're giving. I feel like a nurse is just giving. You're, you're giving, <laughs> giving, giving. You're giving to the doctors, to the patients, to your coworkers. You're just giving, giving, giving. And then imagine you get home and you're giving at your home and like Jen, who had a baby after work soon for her. And then you're giving again for your child and for your husband. And like, I hope you get your breaks because when do you get you time? Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a profession (coughs) of constantly... You know, you're not working on things. You're working on other human beings and you're giving all that you can to provide and help their lives and their concerns and listen to their problems and their stories. And they are yelling at you. And it's like, that's what you're a punching bag ultimately for a lot of the time. And it's hard. And unless you do it, which is why I'm so glad we have this podcast, no one really understands that. Mm -hmm. You don't get it unless you're there doing it every single day, you know? It's frustrating. And, yeah.
2: And, you but know, it's a good job. <laughs> it's when you're on shift, you might have a lull in the shift, right? And, oh, you know, you might not be with the patient that moment, but you're still monitoring them. You're still thinking about what you have to do next, what you have to get done by the end of the shift. You know, to say, like, even if there is a break in the shift, uh, aside from like your lunch or something, it's you're still on point. You still have to be responsible for that person.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you have to document and make sure your meds are like, what are my next meds do? What is you know, communications? You have to have the whole knowledge of the person so that if something happens, you know what to say and do and Mm -hmm. how to respond. Uh, Oh, (laughs) Maureen Walsh, you suck right now. You're like the worst. Sorry. Um, Well, should, hey, should we dive even deeper into the, uh, (laughs) oh, and talk about, um, what it's like to experience a code? Yeah. yeah. Wait, before we get to that, I just want to, um, Wine in the Month Club, aside from Maureen Walsh, you're our collective wine of the month. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. But also can we just revisit a previous wine of the month that was yes. just so tasty? Um, so let's revisit it. Uh-huh. Uh, the external catheters, man, they suck. Dude. Did something happen again? Yeah. I had a patient with a male external catheter, it was a condom cath and they just kept falling off off, and then I got some very good advice from a nurse who had talked to Desi, right? It was yeah, you. skin prep on the penis before you put on the condom cath. Huh. Worked great for half the day and then it came off again. Mm. Also, okay, so, because it gets wet. You pee and then- the pee doesn't just get swept away in the tube like it does in a Foley catheter. It sits in the condom cath sometimes, and then his penis was getting all raw from just being red all the time. Prony and penis. then the condom cath was rubbing on his scrotum, and then there was a raw spot on Ugh. his scrotum. I mean, they really suck. That's right. all I have to say about that. They suck so bad.
1: <laughs> and we can't, like, do and, like Foley caths for men. Like, I know that, I mean, we do, but I'm just saying, can't there be. I don't know.
0: Why do we even use those, I guess is
1: what I'm the saying. The condom
0: cats? Well, for this person, because he was peeing so frequently, and then every once in a while he would have some incontinence, so then his underwear were wet, and his thighs were getting wet, and he was getting a mm. rash, and he just wanted to like, not have to worry about the um, urinal all the time because that was backsplashing on him sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it was the doctor's idea, oh, Sorry, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent because the doctor and the patient and I, we had some things happen this week. Um, so it the doctor's idea to put the condom cath on, and I did, and the patient loved it, but then it just kept malfunctioning. Now, this patient also was constipated, and I'd given him everything in his regimen of bowel care. He had gotten docusate or colase, senna. He had gotten lactulose, and then... I gave him an enema. By the way, he gave himself his own enema because he does it at home sometimes. And I was like, yeah, that's an empowered patient. Do it, man. Yeah. And I was like, hold it in as long as you can. He said, yeah, usually it's 10 minutes. (laughs) I said, great. Wait, why does he normally, does he have like chronic constipation? I don't think so. But every once in a while he has to use an enema. He was Mm. familiar. Mm. So he tried the enema, didn't work. What? No, it didn't work. Um, So then I texted the doctor and I said, hey, I think we might need a large volume enema because we just, he just had a fleet cinema, which was, I don't know, 50 ml or something. Um, and I was thinking a big old soap suds enema, you know, where you hang a bag and it's a liter maybe, and you just see how much you can get in. And then they're like, I can't take it anymore. And they poop, they always poop. Um, so (laughs) he didn't think that was a good idea. He said, let's give them Miralax and milk of mag. And I said, I don't think that's going to work. I mean, I'd already given lactulose, which is mighty powerful. So I just felt like those were kind of first line things. And we were at a, you know, yeah. third line thing now. The heavy hitters. Yeah. So I said, I don't think it's really going to work. I really think an enema. And he said, let's just do scheduled lactulose three times a day. And I just thought that sounded like the meanest thing to do. Mm-hmm. Well, but he's a doctor. And anyway, I've been trying to think about it from two different perspectives. You know, on one perspective, he's a doctor who doesn't like to take suggestions from nurses and he just wanted to do things his own way or he just didn't know and he was just not listening to me. On the other perspective, maybe he thought this poor guy, he doesn't want to have two enemas in one day. Let's at least wait until another day and then we'll give him an, because he said we could do it the next day if the mm. lactulose didn't work. Mm. So maybe that was his perspective. But the poor patient all the while was uh, constipated. Miserably so.
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. He was a sweetie, too. Mm-hmm. He was so nice. How many days in, since he'd pooped? The 20th. It had been four mm-hmm. when I last talked to him. I don't know if he's pooped. Hopefully so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers removing the fecal impaction. Uh, Have yowls. you ever had to do that? No, I considered doing it for him, but he had already done it for himself. Oh. <gasps> what an angel. Wow. But it didn't work. Oh. What an angel. Did he like bottle <laughs> <pile> gloves <laughs> and like. a weird
2: definition of an angel. <laughs> <laughs> he did his own fecal impaction he was a total sweetie <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know if he wore gloves this is what he did to me and I pulled out two pieces this big I'm covering my fingers except for the tips of my fingers that's what he showed me and then he wiggled his fingers that were sticking out
2: so uh, okay
1: <sighs> while he so was in the hospital he did boat. this. <laughs>
2: have you done a fecal impaction no, I, that's another hard line for me.
0: I you know who has? Jenny down in San Diego. Oh, we should ask oh, her about that sometime. Mm-hmm. One time we were camping and she was talking loudly about how she had done a fecal disimpaction and then later we heard the campers next to us they were like did you hear what those people were talking about over there they're talking about putting their fingers in someone's asshole
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're like you should hear our lunch conversation <laughs> <laughs> and those
2: people
0: should not get breaks <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay oh, uh, i'm done complaining
1: Sorry about the interruption. Someone delivered food to the wrong house Mm -hmm. and uh, we should have just taken it. Yeah, it was Mexican food. (laughs) food. (laughs) You know, you can't get good Mexican food in like the East Coast. No. Or Spain. Mm. You
0: can't. Mm. Eh. No, it's true. There's a couple places. It's not like it is here, but there's a few places. Okay, I mean like New York specifically, I guess. And Washington, D.C., Okay, well, it's New York. very multicultural there. Oh, wait, you hmm. can't get good Mexican food in New York? New York or Spain.
1: I've yet to have any good Mexican food. And I had a friend who lived in New York for four years. She could not find it, and she grew up here. So we're comparing it to like. Interesting. This Mexican food. Also in Spain, their Mexican food is not quite. I mean, they can't, um, Spaniards can't tolerate anything spicy. So, none of their food is spicy.
0: It's just basically like Body all oil and salt. None of them can tolerate it. Well, <laughs> they will say that about themselves. I was actually listening to a podcast and there was a Spaniard like, like, we don't eat, spicy. we can't
1: eat anything spicy. Really? So, she generalized. So, I feel like I could say that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was, um, I missed it so much when I lived there. Okay. I diverged. Anyway, so. Codes. Codes. That's okay. I love talking about oh, food. No. Yeah, yeah. Moving on to codes. Yeah. Moving on to codes, yeah, because we want to talk about this. I just wanted to hear about both of your guys' experiences with codes. I have only witnessed one as, like, a nursing student a long time ago. Um, But it sounds like one of the most intense things you can be a part of and terrifying and scary and, like, never want to be a part of one. So what's it like, and how could you describe
0: it to, like, people who have never been in one before? What are your experiences? I would with say it? intense is accurate. Yeah. 100% because um, there's so much happening. Your adrenaline's running that someone's life is in the balance. And, uh, oh, sorry. Maybe we should start with like a code. Like, what's a code? When you hit the code button is because you
1: notice someone, like, start from so that. Someone's declining. What would make somebody's you.
2: Somebody's non responsive or they have a, a lethal rhythm, which would obviously be asystole, no heartbeat, uh, V. Can, sustained VTAC, which is, um, like just, yeah, it's a certain rhythm on the monitor or sustained, uh, ventricular fibrillation. Um, for the most part, like those are the four <coughs> scenario or
0: for respiratory, or respiratory. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, yeah, they suck, but <laughs> <laughs> I think I've said this before that, you know, um, for me, Everything up until the code is really stressful. When it's your patient, everything up until the code is very stressful and terrifying and intense because you don't have – you're troubleshooting, right? You're trying to prevent the downward spiral from happening, and so you're working uphill. And then, you know, if a code – if you have to call a code – you have all of a sudden every resource at your fingertips. You have a doctor in the room with you. You have a pharmacy in the room with you if it's on day shift, you know, and you, you have help and your training kicks in and you know what to do. Finally, everything up until that, you're trying to figure out how you can stop this freight train from coming. You
0: know, Mm -hmm. do you feel that way? Um, sort of, I think that, um, This hasn't happened in the place that I work now yet, but I'm more inclined to call rapid responses um, Mm -hmm. because I don't like that feeling of working uphill and feeling like I need to figure it out. Sometimes I feel like if someone's going downhill and I just, um, even if I have an idea-
2: Of what's going on. Yeah,
0: I'm more inclined to call a rapid response because it gets everyone there and also that works well if a doctor is not being responsive yeah. <laughs> and you think something really <laughs> urgent is, is going on. Yeah, and just uh-huh. to clarify, a
2: rapid response is um, what we call to prevent the patient from getting to the point where you would need to call a code. Mm-hmm. So it's...
1: Can you explain the difference between the two teams or the two
0: same, responses? It's the same team, same right? Same
1: team, but um,
2: different symptomology going on. Mm-hmm. Basically, to call, when you're calling a rapid, it's, it's this pre-symptoms that are going on with a patient. Patients starting to decline. And like Sarah said, you might not have the resources readily available to uh, intervene before they would need a full code called, which would, you know, activate
0: compressions and defibrillation and the patient, you know, advanced airways. But the other difference is, Anyone can call a rapid response in most facilities, right? Like a patient family member, if they think something isn't right. So it doesn't have to be just for respiratory distress or cardiac distress. It can be um, someone's um, just doesn't seem... Right, and someone has a bad feeling about it or uh, a certain lab value has gotten really bad and no one's really done anything about it and you just have a bad feeling about it or, you know, someone, for example, blood sugar. If someone's blood Mm -hmm. sugar is like fluctuating a lot and you're afraid it's going to tank or you're afraid something else bad is going to happen, you know, Um, anyone can call a rapid response. Um, So, yeah, but then the same general group of people come they think through the same things what could be causing this what should we do you know and there's a doctor there kind of directing the team um but it's intense still either way you mean like so the doctor will say
1: okay so these are the vitals whatever this is what's going on let's give this med or
0: let's do like is that what possibly it depends on what's happening um and sorry, just to go on a little bit of a tangent, there's one hospital that I worked at where I feel like they called wrappers responses for everything. One time I went on a break and there was a nurse covering for me and I had a patient who was pretty lethargic and that was just the specific thing that was going on with him, he was lethargic at the time. It wasn't something to worry about. We knew why, and it was stable. Well, the nurse covering for me just wasn't comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, she had called a rapid response. There were all these people in the room, and it was like, oh, it's the same thing? Yeah, it's the same thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. So in some places, rapid responses get overutilized. But basically, it depends on what's going on. If you call a rapid response, if someone is still awake, alert, and oriented, you know, people arrive and we just have a conversation, and they might say, "Let's get this lab test" or "Let's get a, an EKG," and da, da da da. You know, they might think of different things to investigate further. And no one's upset that you called a rapid on someone who's like oriented, alert, no, and oriented. No. no, that's the point of it. You're supposed to prevent. Yeah, yeah exactly. Whereas if you're calling a code blue, it's because someone's already needing a specific intervention, like chest compressions yeah, and, and s- airway. Protocol. and protocol. Yeah. Okay. So code blue
1: and the other codes are more like patients now unconscious and we need literal life-saving at that moment, yeah. hands-on yeah. care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Rapid response is like, we're getting close to that. We need to prevent it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Like I have a bad a lot feeling. Of time, I find <laughs> that um, it's actually really good, especially with this particular hospitalist we have. Um, we basically have a rapid response without calling it, because the doctor, you know, will call them and say, "Hey, we need you to come to the floor," and he will right away, and he'll get involved. Um, we had a patient go into AFib uh, with rapid ventricular response in the. 100s, I'm sorry, in the 200s recently Ooh. and was very symptomatic. <clears throat> and um, the doctor, you know, we told him what was going on. He said, get me the defibrillator and get me so-and-so meds. We're going to do bedside cardioversion.
0: Ooh. Synchronized cardioversion. Ooh, and how'd so, that go?
2: It wasn't successful. Hmm. Uh, the patient lived, but we shocked him th- two, to- two or three times and it, it did not, it would, you know, come down his rate would come down a little bit but just shoot right back up Mm -hmm. was he in a lot of pain after that um we gave him meds to sedate him and 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 pain meds um so you know we make it as comfortable a situation as that can be and they oftentimes don't remember it anyway so um but he did he was like oh, shit, you know, <laughs> yelled out and was like, I feel like a truck just hit me. <laughs> oh, oh yeah.
0: man. I felt really
2: bad for the guy.
0: <laughs> oh, no.
2: And the doctor, you know, would put his hand on his chest. He's like, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, but the guy's still. But do you? Yeah, exactly. You ain't felt that you before. No, I feel like um, two really important aspects of a successful code are... Um, Freeing up the primary nurse to give report, to, yeah, within the situation, um, because that's you know that's your starting point for the doctor to know which inter- interventions to proceed with and which are priority, mm-hmm. and then getting those pads on. Mm-hmm. Which they seem like small tasks, but they can be. You know, recently we put pads on somebody, and I like. somebody handed them to me off the med cart. I'm sorry, the code cart and I popped them on and then I went to go plug it into the defibrillator and it was the wrong pads. Oh, really? I don't, I'm like, why are these even on the code? cart? They weren't compatible with the plug or something. I think somebody probably had just thrown them on the code cart in, um, clean supply, not wanting to put them back where, where they had been found.
0: Oh, I think they were like, um, cardioversion pads. Huh, that's interesting. You know, I feel like another thing that um, in my very short experience of participating in codes, because I've only participated in three code blues in my life, and two of them have been very recently. um, One thing that makes a huge difference is the code leader. So Mm -hmm. there was one code I participated in that was just between the change of night shift to day shift. So there was a day shift doctor who seemed very experienced, and he arrived, and he said... I am going to be in charge of this code. You know, people had already been doing stuff. And in the meantime, the charge nurse for the unit had been calling the shots. Mm-hmm. Then he arrived and he said that statement. He's the ER doc. okay. Yeah. They,
2: they're the ones that are contractually obligated to respond to a code blue.
0: It was really reassuring because he got there, he said that, and then everyone else just kind of fell into their roles. We talked about, are you recording? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? Because we knew someone else was doing the big picture thinking, mm-hmm. um, on contrast, there was another patient on night shift and there was a doctor who showed up who I have no idea who he was. And he was really nice, but he was a little nonchalant about things. And I felt him going through the same steps, but with less confidence. So it made me feel less confident, even though he was doing basically the exact same things as the doctor on day shift. Mm -hmm. He just didn't sound uh, as commanding or uh, assertive, basically. He was like, um have we done this? Should we think about that? You know, kind of like a nursing approach to things where it's like, let me ease you into this scenario. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Instead of like, push that, let's do this now. Exactly. Um, Like prepare another round of Epi. You know, it's very (laughs) to... To have that communication is yeah, so key direct to where people feel confident in what they're mm. doing now, to be fair, the person on the night shift it, it doesn't really it didn't affect how the patient outcome came. The person on the night shift happened to live through that code, and the person on the day shift did not happen to live um, through that code. They both ended up dying in the end, by the way, um, I think <laughs> but but so not to say that you know. The code the leader is outcome. everything, yeah, in in the patient outcome, but it does make a difference in how the people in the team feel, mm-hmm. I think, and act. Definitely.
1: How many codes have you guys both been in? If you three could for guess. me,
0: three. Mm-hmm. Code blues, if we're talking about that, probably seven. Seven-ish, seven, I think.
1: How do you guys feel after a code and? let's say someone lives versus someone dies, how do you, does that affect the rest of your life? Are you always going to remember that? Do you think about it? Do you ever have nightmares about it? Does it replay in your head? Like how does, how does that go? Like going throughout your life, experiencing types of things like that?
2: For me, it really depends if it was my patient or not, you know, because um, it's, it's kind of a, a strange feeling, at least in my experiences, when it's been my patient coding, you know, everybody else takes over certain roles and I'm left suddenly feeling like I'm not doing anything anymore. You know, like we got called, you're doing everything you can to prevent, you know, their decline. And sometimes there's not even a lot of symptoms leading up to it and it happens out of the blue. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, in a rapid or code, a lot of times it feels like all of a sudden everybody else I'm always like, wow, I feel like I didn't even do anything. Like Everybody else came in and did what I was needing to be done, but it's because I need to be able to think clearly enough to communicate what were the precipitating factors, what this person's here for, because the doctor that comes to the code isn't familiar with this patient
0: most mm-hmm. of the time.
2: They So
0: they need to understand... It's they, true. That's such an interesting component. It's like they don't even know why they're here. They don't know any bit of their history. You have to tell them literally everything, and then they have to make decisions based yeah. on what you're telling well, that, them. That's what's so nice about ACLS
2: protocol is you know, you are looking at symptoms of the patient. You're looking at the, what the monitor is putting up, and based on those two things, you either go route A or route B, You know, and um, you know exactly what to do, how to respond given the rhythm on the monitor or you know what you've given them already it's it's a protocol for a reason Mm -hmm.
1: which i need to brush up on because i'm renewing my acls next month in a couple weeks and i don't do that much like you know thank goodness that um that i need to use that protocol so i'm like this is a perfectly timed talk
0: yeah (laughs) um to your question about how does it affect you um it's funny because the first code I ever participated in was about four years ago. And it, all I did was hold an airway and then the patient cut, carted away to somewhere and then whatever. It was fine. Um, so I had very minimal, you know, interaction. And then the two recent ones I had actual physical, inter- I did compressions and it really affected me. I didn't think it would affect me that much, but I thought about it a lot for Days And probably even weeks afterwards, I was thinking about how awfully traumatizing mm. it is to experience chest compressions. And I already knew that. And, you know, we've talked about it in previous episodes where I was like, I don't want compressions because it seems horrible and awful. But now I've actually seen it. It's horrible You've and awful. done it.
2: Yeah. That was a particularly rough one. We were compressing this guy for a very long time. And he was a small man. And I mean, the it's a very brutal act, mm-hmm. a necessary one, but still, I mean, there were it makes you feel friction like a death Yeah, there's friction burns. <laughs> you know, there's um, noticeable physical damage that you're inflicting. You know,
1: it's funky. Um, that must be weird knowing you're inflicting the damage, yet it's. A- it's pretty good. Your own thing. good. Yeah, yeah. It's like, we need this. It's a good thing. I'm not hurting him, but I'm hurting him, and it's weird. It, yeah. I had a guy that had recently had a, uh, sternot-
2: a reduced a sternotomy. So he had had several years ago um, a cabbage, and uh, the plate or the, the wires didn't heal right. And so he had a mobile sternum. And so they had gone Ew. back in, opened him back up, and put in a non unionized plate.
0: What does that mean?
2: It's like a, what is it? It's like, it's to reinforce the the structure of the sternum. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what
0: non-unionized really refers to, but- to do compressions. I'm imagining that it's a plate on this side of the sternum, a plate on that side, and then little chains in between that keep it together, but not completely together so it can shift a little bit. Yeah, maybe. That's my imagination, people. This is not <laughs> medical information. <laughs> Don't yeah. quote us on that. That's Did imagination. You, com- you, you have
2: to do them, um, instead of the standard, you know, one hand over the other and pressing with the, the uh-huh. heel of your hand, uh-huh. you do them... Um, um, Like this, like fingers interwoven and your, um, vertical along, kind of along the incision, a little off the line of the incision to distribute the impact. And I, how did you even know that? Uh, I had just learned that maybe a month prior and I, I, my, um, on nights, you know, typically the first person to come to a code is our supervisor. Mm -hmm. And, um, this one supervisor we have is excellent, excellent, well, you know, really great clinical knowledge. And he was saying, Press harder, Des, press harder. And I, you know, it, I, it just, I wasn't because it felt so funky initially. Cause I'm like, So you're pushing with like your
1: interlocking fingers. That's where the main pressure is coming from, not your well, palms.
2: Not, you're not like pinpointing. Right. I can, yeah. So, see that, but um, like, to, re- to distribute out the pressure more. Oh, so the whole
1: thing. You're just trying yeah. to do even pressure on the whole. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Okay, see. Yeah. And uh,
2: it was a weird feeling. That's weird. I was like, I could feel I'm messing up the surgeon's work right now.
0: Which I mean, <laughs>
2: because that's the fear Which instilled won't from if he me. Dies. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what my, after after the, my supervisor, I was like, I need to press way harder initially, right? Like, and he's like, Yeah, you need to go like full on. You don't let up. And I was like, I know. He's like, Every surgeon, if they're there, will be sa- saying, Don't do that. Don't mess up my work. Like he's experienced that where surgeons are at the bedside saying- Really? Yeah. And he's had to yell back at them. It won't matter if I don't perfuse. Yeah.
0: You know, exactly. Oh, Jeez. Man, sorry. I'm just like taken aback by that a little bit because I didn't even know that was a thing. The double, whatever you called it, sternotomy (laughs) non-unionized plate. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know the specifics of it.
2: Um, but Could you
0: feel it, like, shifting it under your hands? It felt different than
2: other compressions I've done. Hmm. It was
1: a, a harder, like, surface area because there's a plate in there. Is the plate in the center or is there a line down the middle that's, like, not... I I, I don't know that okay. much. Okay, we have to do a We Google. should look yeah. that up. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. wasn't
2: my patient, so I just was responding. You know? yeah. But when it's your patient, you think about what you did or didn't do before that, you know, the code happens. We had a a nurse who recently went through her first code and it was a very traumatic code. It was, um, the patient was pouring bile, like vomiting it, but it was like a a spigot Mm
0: -hmm. and the patient
2: was unconscious.
0: And anyway, and- um, I think I was there for that one. Yeah. That was my second- code at this hospital. Yeah, I think yeah. we talked about <laughs> Very that, traumatic. It
2: was, right? I mean,
0: I wasn't yeah. there, but hearing about it and this already- This is where what you're supposed to do in a code and what actually happens don't sync up because they're like, oh, if object found in patient's mouth, roll them to their side, clear object, put them back on their back, resume compressions. You know, in, in our ACLS algorithms or BLS algorithms, this was profuse vomiting that just did not stop. And even when we got the airway in- so much vomit came out of the um, the, the tube. Uh, yeah, the tube. What's the it called? It, yeah, the intubation tube. That um, we thought we had it in the stomach, but in, she had in just the esophagus. Aspirated that yeah, much. she had gotten oh so gosh. much bile on her lungs that is, it was actually in the right place. And it, ugh. and you know, initially, the nurse who had a, called the code button and you
2: didn't even have time. Like she just in her mind it was compressions right away and she got on top of the patient in the bile and was pu- the patient was sitting at like a probably 80 degree angle because they had had her up to prevent
1: aspiration and was pushing like this oh my gosh like forward yeah, so she's ver- pushing like yeah. imagine pushing against the wall sort of exactly yeah so, wow. And then and someone came in and pushed the call button? Well, or? she had pushed the call button.
2: And so just the time it took for people okay. to get in there, but she started compression. Yeah. Did, you know, things right. But it, mm-hmm. it's. Has
1: it's, she talked about how she's felt about it? Or? Yeah.
2: Because. Um, She, she knew things were wrong with this patient. Like she was trying all night to get the orders to get somebody to intervene right away at shift change. At the beginning of the shift, she called respiratory therapy, got them involved. Like she was trying so hard to prevent that from happening, but she really couldn't get somebody to buy into it. Hmm. You know,
1: was the patient like awake when, before that happened, before the code? Yeah.
2: She went all night. The patient had been pulling off her O2 monitor. And Hmm. so our, this nurse had continually gone back in and put the O2 monitor back on and she saw it off again. And so she went in and she put it back on her and she was like, you know, so-and-so please, you have to keep this on, okay? I really need to see that oxygen out there on the monitor. And when she dropped her hand, like she noticed something was wrong mm-hmm. and she like looked it up at the patient mm-hmm. and was like, oh my gosh, she's, she's not
1: Yeah, she's responsive. not there. Yeah.
2: That's crazy. And, <laughs> and a lot of the times, you know, on night shift, the, the attitude is keep the status quo, you know, because we don't have the resources to, you know, we, we don't have physical therapy there. We don't have a lot of the resources there that you'd want. And, and the goal is for the patient to get rest. So you're not like, you know, working the patient. Trying to trying wake them yeah. up and
0: do
1: interventions and, all night. Yeah, and, so, and
0: sometimes there's only one respiratory therapist for the whole hospital at night.
1: Yeah. Can you
0: explain what a respiratory therapist does for in general. Oh, so many things. Respiratory therapists are great. They are so I great. had a patient recently who was in um, the hospital with uh, pneumonia and he was the stoic man who he, you know, stayed home for several days with gasping for breath. And um, his wife was like, yeah, we thought he was going to fight it out. Like they were just very stoic people. And when I got him admitted, I was like, whoa, he wanted to go home from the emergency room and they made him they really strongly urged him to stay and he did. And when I saw him, I was like, how have you been living the past few days? He was just, (sighs) you know, really gasping. And so I took care of him the first night and he was started on antibiotics and respiratory treatment. So I thought the next day when I came back, he would be better. And he wasn't, he was just as bad. Mm -hmm. And it was the respiratory therapist who saved us because, um, I called them and I said, I really think he looks bad. You know, I know he has a treatment coming up, but can you come early? Because he's just getting worse throughout the day. And I had texted the doctor and the doctor was like, yeah, I can see this. And he was starting to lean my way. But when respiratory therapy got there and confirmed what I thought, everything happened. And then they started doing all kinds of interventions respiratory-wise for the patient. that So they can come and they can, you know... Assess breath sounds and, you know, look at the O2SAT and make a determination about that. And they can do interventions like, or to you know, from gas. treatments like nebulizers, but also BiPAP. They can do, yeah, ABGs. High flow, oxygen. Yep. They have really great ideas for how to treat respiratory distress. More than what we know because we don't know all that stuff. Yeah. Do they do anything with like... S- so Some, that's someone else swallowing and
1: like stuff like that. that's the OT? Yeah.
2: No, the, uh, speech, pathology. speech pathology. Oh, speech. speech yeah. Therapist. yeah, right. Okay. Okay. But they do, you know, trach care, suctioning. Respiratory therapist.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. That's crazy. Wow. And they would come during a code too, obviously, mm-hmm. because breathing yeah. is important. Yeah. <laughs> and we have, on nights, we have great
2: respiratory therapists and one in particular that's extremely experienced. Um, he can be very short in a code situation, like gr- really cr- grumpy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but every other time he's a joy. Mm. It's so interesting. Like It'd he be just, like
1: under stress. Yeah.
2: Just he like- flips a switch, but he is very um, knowledgeable, you know, mm. and he snapped back at a doctor. I think the same doctor, the like li- more liaison
0: fair doctor. When- oh, I'm trying to remember who this was. It's been a while since I've worked a night shift, but anyway, I believe you. Yeah. I had a kind of a, what what would have turned
2: into a respiratory code actually just on Sunday night. Um, I had just had a patient come down from the ICU right before shift change, and he was in for um, pneumonia slash CHF, and, but um, they were initially leaning more towards pneumo- pneumosepsis, and so they were treating him per septic- septic- sepsis protocol, which means fluids. Mm-hmm. And for somebody who has CHF, mm. that turned into a real problem because yeah. mm. um, they you know, treated him for the sepsis and diuresed him, but didn't continue to diurese him. And right before shift change, they had given him a large dose of albumin. And so... Hmm. The first three hours of the shift, he was doing great. I had him on an O2 monitor. I was weaning him off oxygen, um, and right about 12:30 or oh, I guess it was 1:30, he uh, called kept calling or no, he started to throw up um, like what looked like runs of SVT. He was already in AFib, but it would. You know Periodically The rate would jump up mm-hmm. So I kept going in there To check on him After I'd see the SVT Probably five or six times Over 30 minutes And on the sixth time He threw up the SVT I was walking To go check on him He pressed his call light And he was like Huffing a little bit And he's like I feel like I can't breathe I can't breathe I, And I looked at his oxygen And it was 96% You know I'm like Okay Just slow it down Take. I'm going to turn up your oxygen Let's try, you know, and he's a very neurotic, typical COPD patient. They're, he also had COPD. They're very oh hyper boy. focused on, you know, their breathing, mm-hmm. and so, I will admit, you know, like I had initially for that first moment written him off a little bit, thinking it was more neuroses, but by the time it took me to, I, I listened to his lungs and they were coarse, mm-hmm. so I went and I called the doctor immediately and asked for Lasix and by the time it took me to bring Lasix back and I went back in he was like just his lungs were so wet mm. everywhere I could hear it standing at the doorway and it was like flash pulmonary pulmonary edema and he tanked so quick but we um got him on BiPAP at 75% oh two and you know Basically, we, we got him up to the ICU just in time because um, of all the work he had put in trying to breathe, he had depleted so many resources, and mm-hmm. he tanked that night. They had to intubate him. They had him on, like, six different drips. They redid his labs, and his WBCs had doubled. Wow. It was It was nuts. But I had Jeez. great support because I'm not a super experienced nurse, you know? I'm still gaining that critical judgment mm-hmm. and my supervisor was there you know and was like let's get him like you seem worried let's check him out let's get RT involved and then he was like we'll give him 10 or 15 minutes on BiPAP and if he doesn't improve I'm telling the doctor we're moving him to ICU
0: mm-hmm. yep and that to, to have like that leadership you know mm-hmm Oh, just hearing these stories, it makes me feel like, oh, you know what I wish that we did have in our hospital? I wish that we were um, a stroke certified center because we're on a heart and vascular unit and people are... Prone to having strokes mm-hmm. after certain procedures, and we don't have a regular neurologist at our hospital, which is what prevents us from having that that just certification. Changed. Really, I, heard, I just okay. Sorry, funny you, story. You don't have a neurologist? It's we, not like the other day, day. I was out on the balcony eating lunch, and I saw some doctor doing selfies, and <laughs> I tried not to let him see that I was seeing. But then when I got up to finish my lunch, he saw me watching him, and I was like. Waved real quick, you know, and then I saw him outside of the elevator, and I was like, "Hey, balcony selfie, selfie taker, you know, how's it going?" <laughs> and he introduced himself, and he said he's a neurologist. It turns out we have neurologists now, yes. um, and, and he GI. said he's not sure that they are going to keep him around or neurologists around, but that's a possibility. Um, we're a heart and vascular specialized hospital. I think we should specialize. I think we should have a stroke certification. That's totally just stay obvious yeah um there are other hospitals i've worked at that have that certification and a stroke code oh my god i've never been amazing part of one. um so this is the one instance of a code that i've experienced that went super duper well so there was one patient i had in uh another hospital one time that um I went in, I wasn't even doing a neuroassessment per se. I was just checking on the patient, you know, just going and talking to them and seeing what was up. And something seemed off. And um, I thought they might be having a stroke. They'd already had one before. So I let the charge nurse know. That charge nurse called a stroke code. Neurologist was up there immediately. The person went for a CT scan within 20 minutes. You know, it was amazingly fast. And um, they did, you know, interventions and the patient was turned out fine. Um, or at least at their baseline (laughs) where they had been before with some already deficits, but no worse than they had been before. Um, I wish that we had that at our facility because I feel like we have high risk patients and it sucks to have to transfer people out all the time. I feel like we're good nurses. We have the knowledge of heart and vascular issues already. We could just learn another thing if we just had a neurologist to back us up and do the things do yeah. the things that we need to do you know the interventions and I guess that's what we need but
2: yeah I think um my understanding is we will no longer be transferring out infarct
0: strokes hmm. but still hemorrhagic because we don't have neurosurgery that makes sense so. I seriously still want you guys to follow up on me shadowing you like I'm a, do we need to follow up on it? <laughs> Should I, like, pressure you and text you daily? No, I when mean, When you like, going to come work with me? But, I mean, I
1: don't know what your policies are. So, like, are they going to need to make, check my TB test? Can I just show up one day? Like, I want to, because I feel like I can learn a lot. You guys have different knowledge than I do, because I don't ever... Ha- I don't need that knowledge, like, how to run a... Call. I don't do that, so it's not... You know something, but I not that I want to experience that when I shadow you, but just like hospital nursing and I wonder, I'm sure I it's deal with other things that
0: you know. Yes, it's no, a totally different. I know facet. what you deal with. Oh my God! Today I worked in the office with you. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's all coming <laughs> back to me now. It's different. It's
1: like not. As acute stuff, and sometimes it is. So I feel like it seems silly in comparison, but nope, it's not. It's, it's mostly it's a like a whole
2: other set of skills that you need to know, mm-hmm, you know, oh my God, and TA, be able to
0: navigate. I heard Cat totally be like the most calming person on the phone. I think I told her she should be a nine one one dispatcher. <laughs> Someone was com- like freaking out about uh, a pain that they felt in their chest that wasn't cardiac related chest pain. It was somewhere else, and it was. Because of some musculoskeletal thing. And also, the patient referred to the pain on their body. It hurts right here. And Kat was like, I can't see where you're pointing, so will you tell me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, so cute. She was like, I was like, oh. she said it's a shooting pain. Okay, when it shoots, does it shoot anywhere? Like, does it radiate? Well, right here. And I was like, okay, honey, well, I can't see that. So where? Do, where is it? Well, it's here in the same spot. I'm like, okay. But it was like a 20-minute conversation of me trying saying...
2: Trying to figure out where her pain is.
0: But she was so calming, and she had the patient do deep breaths with her over the phone, and I was just thinking, you're really soothing. You should be a 911 dispatcher. If what I was in an emergency, I would job. want to hear
1: these things. It's more... Because I'm outpatient, right? So we're not dealing with the same stuff. We're dealing with people that are freaked out because they don't know what's going on and they're not in a hospital surrounded by people they can ask. Or that know. Right, right. It's It's a mystery to them. Right, exactly. And so they're calling saying, I have this, I have this, is it this? And And a lot of times it's not. I mean, sometimes it is cardiac. Oh, yeah, you got it. It's bad. It's real bad.
0: (laughs) Most of the time it is, obviously,
1: actually, because they're all cardiology patients. But um, in this instance today, it it was like musculoskeletal pain, but she was convinced it was her heart. And she was crying on the phone for 20 minutes and I'm, okay, let's do some deep breathing. I want you to sit with both feet on your floor and I'm going to stay on the phone with you and I'm going to wait. Okay, now take deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. I want you to feel a wave of warmth, go over your body and take in your this, But a lot of the time, but that's what they need. Like that's what you have to do because... They're freaking out. It's not life-threatening. It's fine, and they feel it is. And when you your brain is the most powerful thing in your body, if you feel that you're having a heart attack, you're gonna get symptoms, and it's gonna be scary. And I know this because I feel this all the time. I'm like, (laughs) I I was telling Sarah today, I'm
0: like, I have chest pain. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I don't even smoke because I got SVT and freaks me out. You say SVT like you're at a concert. SVT. SVT. No, I have like PSVT.
2: (laughs)
1: But but after this podcast you guys gotta like check me out make sure nothing's happening Um, but anyway
0: you're fine it's fine I know I'm totally fine it's eczema and it's fine take a deep
1: breath feel the
2: warmth sinking Uh, over you that
1: drowning (laughs) sensation no (laughs) that's the worst you should not help people that drowning sensation <laughs> the water is filling your lungs are filling up with water <laughs> I I hypnotized a patient sinking what? slowly
2: what he was like totally he could he really needed the BiPAP but he just couldn't tolerate it for so it was I it was a night I could sit in the patient's room for an hour and be with him and talk him through it and just say it just breathe, find the rhythm, find the rhythm of the machine. You know, I'm
0: going to breathe with you. Okay. You know, and I would, I, it was- I'm sorry. I'm avoiding singing a Gloria Stefan song. <laughs> don't avoid, don't avoid. Of the of the oh yeah. All right. Go on. <laughs> sorry. Da, da, da.
2: But yeah. And I hypnotized him to sleep. Did you really do yeah. like snore in the end? Yeah, he was sleeping That's and the great. next morning he was like, That was amazing. You know, and I was like, <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
0: Take <I laughs> you home so and my too. It is good for me too. I wish I could hip. <laughs> <laughs> <Sarah, laughs> I love hearing myself talk.
1: So <laughs> But there's just like so many things that you do to help people in all these different ways. You know. It's crazy. It's nurses. I think we're
0: awesome. We're like we the bomb. We We are. Oh my god. Can we just say right now that we are so great? And we are. Maureen Walsh. You don't even know. You don't even
1: know. We're playing cards right now. I don't know. She does not know (laughs) what it's like to
2: have a patient that isn't doing well. And for 12 hours, you are freaking out and stressed. And every time the monitor goes off, you wrench your neck around and see if it's your patient. Like she does (laughs) not know how long 12 hours can be. Maybe she Mm -hmm. should shout
1: at you instead of me. (laughs) I'm about ready to give her a call. Hey, what, dear Maureen,
0: please come here. Man, she's getting so much like... Just well, I listen, am- Maureen, we're sorry if you come to the hospital as our patient. We're going to take such good care of you because that's what we do. Yeah, we, we're going to we have can't to not do that. We yeah, we have to. Um, and I'm- I hope you feel every second of it.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we
1: pick your needle size our needle gauge and. <laughs> oh, it looks like you need a catheter. <laughs> I, I just peed. I know, but I think you're having some
0: retention. What, does that, what's the highest French we can pick?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I am con- always confused about that.
0: Oh, what's big, what's smaller? Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. it's like the opposite. Is it the opposite? Oh, because IV catheters... The lot higher the number, the smaller oh. the gauge. Mm-hmm. And in urinary catheters, the higher the number, the bigger the gauge. Uh, so, like, twenty-four gauge IV is really no. small. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Higher the number, the smaller the gauge. Um, yeah. No, I was
0: like,
1: <laughs> oh, was I so thought much. you said the opposite. And I was like, Sarah, we use like, if you use like a
0: twenty-four, that's small. You don't yeah, want to do an eighteen. Yeah. Okay. Here's what. Wine. Sorry. Can I just tell you guys a thing? Um, how I remember what the IV gauges are. I remember green eighteen, blue twenty-two. See the rhyming, yeah. And then yellow is the smallest. That's yellow-bellied people. They're scared, so they get the twenty-four gauge. That's really tiny. (laughs) And then pink's the only thing left. That's twenty-two. That's the one between twenty. What I mean, twenty. Yes, you're right, twenty. Because I already said blue twenty-two.
1: What would happen if they like randomly change the colors? I
0: would have to oh develop gosh. a new I scheme. No, so
1: I would, would have to come up with that? something else. Or it could just give people some terribly uh, large IVs. <laughs> <I laughs> this is know. the small one, medium one, right? We had uh, a patient today who came to the office who's having a stress a dobutamine stress test coming up, and they were asking if we could do a access her port. Mm-hmm. to do this and I was like, Oh, that'd be great. We don't need to do an IV. But none of us are certified to access ports and have never done it. And we Set don't me. have we don't have the needles. <laughs> have yeah, Sarah, come work at it. But I don't work there regularly. I don't know, but you have to at least be shown how to do it once yeah. in your life. Like none I've of us never have, done it. I've never done it, never been shown. We also don't have the needles for it. Like and so she can't just she was upset you you don't have anyone who can do it? Like no. This isn't I feel like that would hurt more. Right, than an IV, like, so a port you have to, like, poke through the skin into the, like, m-
0: device that's implanted underneath. I think, though, it's so convenient for people who have ports because they probably have terrible venous access mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they've already been poked a million times in their veins, you Yeah, know? and
1: that's why I am terrified and hope I am not the one doing it that day because, no, because <laughs> it's probably going to be really hard. Just, no, and... Secondly, I don't think so. <laughs> no, but, but Sarah was there today in the office and she had a good idea of like, well, go to the infusion center where you go. You normally get your yeah, you know, treatments, you whatever. <clears throat> yeah, and have them access it and then come in so that we can use it and then you can go and they can de-access it later. Oh, yeah. You know? Maybe. If so, they're willing to do that. I don't know. I, don't know. I haven't looked I'm into sure it. I'm sure there's some sort of liability law that right. would prohibit it.
0: Yeah. Probably yeah that's true yeah, unfortunately
2: probably. for the patient's sake
0: so because what if you get your port access and then you go and like do drugs in it but mm. whatever we send people people home with pick lines and other central lines anyway yeah. sorry. and they that's may another use topic. it for drugs and they right. make great decisions with that <laughs> <laughs> oh you need
2: another new
1: valve <laughs> weird Oh, we, uh, well,
0: we don't have anyone to end this podcast, so... Oh, I can, can press we... Let's figure yeah, out just press what, It's button. A red button. It this one. Right. Thanks, everybody, when. for listening. Find us, Check uh, us you Check know, us out on Instagram and Facebook at... Whining W Nurses. Whining W Nurses.
2: Or email us. At www.ww
0: <laughs> W-W nurses at <laughs> gmail.com.
1: I was like, that's way too many W's. <laughs> and <laughs>
0: cheers. Cheers.